Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. church. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here and just we've been walking through Advent in this series of Advent. We look at hope and peace and joy and then this week love and I don't think there's a better partner to have up here to just exemplify the trait of love because they're not just in Zambia but all across the globe there are kids who do not get cared for that are going hungry. They don't have parents. There's parents who are starving. There's kids with no school, and Bob and Judy Bertels years ago stepped into a dark place that needed hope, they need, needed peace, it needed joy, and it needed love. And they brought it there by creating African Vision of Hope, with, which God laid on their heart. And so when we get to partner with not just them, but the other partners you saw on the screen that Corey was talking about, we're advancing the gospel not just by the means of what Heights community can do, but by what many other organizations and non-for-profits and ministries can do. And so your generosity, your sacrificial giving, it is furthering the gospel, not just here in the Metro East, but to the ends of the globe. And just, we want to thank you. And if you haven't given yet, and you're like, man, this sounds awesome. As you can see, there's boxes by each set of doors as you leave. You can drop money in there if you'd like to. And everything that's given today will go right back out. There's not a penny that will stay here at Heights. And so if we exceed our goal, we just take the percentages of what was given to like each of those organizations and we just add on to what we were going to give them. And so again, thank you guys for being faithful and giving um, and being patient and standing. And man, this is awesome to see this many people here. And so like I said, we're finishing up Advent. It's interesting that Advent, the way it fell, it's the four Sundays before Christmas. And so the last one being on Christmas Eve, here we are. And then we'll come back tonight to talk about the birth of Jesus. And, but this morning, what we're going to focus on is love. And we're going to specifically focus in on Bathsheba. And you might be wondering why. Why Bathsheba? What does that have to do with Christmas? And when we've been walking through the lineage of Jesus, when you look in Matthew 1, you can see all the generations that came before Jesus, leading up to Joseph, his earthly father. And so Bathsheba, again, is an unlikely person, an unlikely person to end up in the lineage of Jesus. You would think that God would choose people of higher stature and maybe notoriety, but yet Bathsheba came from a poor family and basically was used by a king who did not love her or care for her. But that is what we want to look at today is that when we read in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, what we're going to see is the story of David and Bathsheba, that when we're not loved by this world and the people of this world, we're still loved by a better king. And so that our big idea for the day, if you're tracking with me, if you're trying to take notes in this, if you don't have a kid in your lap, is this, is we are loved by the better king. We are loved by the better king. No matter how unloved you might feel, I can promise you that there is someone who loves you, and it is Jesus. King Jesus loves you more than you could ever fathom, more than you can ever try to comprehend in your mind. And you might think, well, I need to get my life cleaned up so he'll love me. Jesus loves you right now as much as he will ever love you. He doesn't need you to get your stuff fixed. He doesn't need you to get your life in order so that he'll love you more. 
He loves you infinitely right now. In spite of who we are, in spite of our sin, he loves us. And so I want us to read from 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5, and then we're going to read in chapter 12 just a little bit of this story. And so here's what it says in chapter 11 of 2 Samuel. In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. It happened one late, late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him and lay with it, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Jump over to chapter 12. Let me give you a little bit of background before we do. So David discovers he has conceived a child with Bathsheba. He's not her husband. Her husband is out of battle where David should have been. And so to cover up this sin, he has Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, come back from battle in hopes that he would go home and be with his wife. But yet he doesn't. He has honor. He has integrity. And he would not go into his home. Even after King David tried to get him drunk, enough that he would go into his home, he still does not go into his home. He sleeps on the doorstep of his own house because he has integrity and honor, and he would not go in there. And so now King David is left without any choice of what to do because it's going to be known that he has slept with another man's wife, and she's going to have a baby. And so he puts Uriah on the front lines of the war, and he is killed by the enemy forces. And so now he's taken... Bathsheba as his own wife, but Nathan the prophet is sent by the Lord, and he tells him this in chapter 12. He says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had, brought, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and, he, and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you out of the hand of Saul and gave you your master's house and your master's wife's into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if, it, and if this were too little, I would have added to you as much more. See, King David wanted everything. He had it all already, and yet he wanted more. And what we see in our first point is this, is the better king gives instead of takes. David was in the place of the most powerful position you could have asked for in this ancient time. He had all the power. He had all the notoriety. Everyone loved King David. He was a man after God's own heart, and yet he still was a man who could fall into temptation and then sin. And what he has done then is he's not just used his position of power just to maybe get other things, but he's taken another man's wife. She was in no position to say no. 
If I'm just being very honest with you and keeping it as PG as I can, he would have been canceled in today's society by far. Like he would have had, he would have been gone. His Instagram gone, his X or Twitter or whatever gone. Like everyone would have hated King David because he used and abused his power to take a woman who was not his. And she came from, it tells us, from Eliam was her dad. And then the wife of Uriah, they were not a family of notoriety or of money. And so she was very low on the totem pole, and he sees her, and he, he takes her. And the interesting thing is that God had blessed him so much, and in chapter 12 there, verses 7 and 8, God basically says to him, David, I gave you everything. I gave you everything you could have wanted, and yet you wanted more. And if you would have just asked for more, I would have gave you more, and yet you took it. And so there's a great sin here, and, and the sin just ravages his fam- family for years, and yet... When we see this story play out, the interesting thing is it's not uncommon to us. When you look to Adam and Eve in the garden, you have a piece of fruit hanging on a tree that they're told not to eat from. This fruit is not doing anything to entice Eve. It's not doing anything to entice Adam. And yet they see something that is not theirs. And what do they do? They take it. Eve takes that fruit and she eats of it, something that was not allowed for her. And David does the same thing. He sees something that is not his and he takes it. But what we have with God is this, is that we have a God who doesn't take. He's a God who gives. He's a God who sends. He sends literally his son to us. And so as David's looking down from his roof, observing because he's bored, he had nothing to do. See, it said he got it from his couch while the other kings were out at war. David should have been at war. He was a great general. He was a great warrior. And yet he's bored and he's there in a place where he could be tempted And he sees and he takes. And the difference is, is God, our great king, our king Jesus, he looks down from the heavens, he sees us. Doing the same thing, basically, that Bathsheba is doing. She's trying to purify herself. We constantly are at work, aren't we? We're trying to purify ourselves, make ourselves righteous in the eyes of God. And God looks down at us and says, you'll never achieve that. You'll never accomplish that. You cannot Make yourself righteous. You cannot make yourself perfect. You cannot make yourself pure. And so instead of taking, instead of punishing, instead of just doing whatever he wants, he sends his son. He cares for us. And that's what we see in John 3.16. Literally, the, the passage that I think any, or the verse that anyone would know, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Hear the difference here. We have a king, we have a God, we have a creator who sees and he sees a need that needs to be met. And instead of taking, he sends his son. In John 14, 15 through 17, it says this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then he goes on in verse 26. Oh, verse 17, I'm sorry, the screen. Verse 17, I'm sorry, I'm messing it up on you. A lot of distractions for me, I'm doing my best. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, candles and kids, it's, it's all good, it's all good. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, knows him you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, verse 26 there in John. Nope, don't have that. Maybe I messed that up on my notes. I'm sorry. Regardless, here's what we see. Jesus is 
telling his believers that he's going to send someone. So not only does God see us in a desperate place and sends his son, then Jesus knows that he would not leave us in a desperate place and he sends us a helper. He sends his spirit to dwell in us for all of eternity. And so we have a a God who sends. But the next, what we see is that the better king flees temptation instead of flirting with temptation. David, again, should not have been on that rooftop. He should have never been up there, but yeah, he is. He's bored. He's looking around, and he's watching the, everything going on in the city, and he sees Bathsheba, and he wants to go, and he wants to take. And we have a better king who would never do that. We have a better king who, though he was tempted just like us, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted, the Bible says, and yet he did not sin. Not one time. He was perfect in all that he did. He was righteous. Even while he was in the flesh and he went to the cross, he was a perfect sacrifice for our sins because he did not flirt with temptation. I was reading this week as I was preparing for the sermon, and we have to realize it is much easier to avoid being tempted than it is to flee sin. I think about that. So often we put ourselves in spots where it's very, very tempting, and we think, man, how did I mess up? How did I end up sinning this way? Because you put yourself in a spot where that was just going to happen. It was inevitable. Many of us, like we could say, well, I I don't do that. Well, do you get on Instagram or Twitter or the internet in any way and maybe push the limits of how far you should go? That would be the equivalent of David up on that roof looking around at things that he did not need to be looking at. We don't need to flirt with sin, church. We do not need to do that. David should have been 50 miles away with his army, and then he couldn't have taken Bathsheba. But we have a God who took on flesh. That's why we're here today, that we can celebrate that with the birth of Christ. But he took on flesh, and then he lived a perfect life. He did not flirt with temptation. He went, to the, he went to the Word. He went to God. He went to prayer. And he never sinned. So it's much easier than to avoid it than it is to resist sin. And next what we see is this, is the better king is selfless, not selfish. David knew that this sin would hurt people. He knew that it would. At minimum, even if she would have not got pregnant, he knew that it would affect her for the rest of her life. She would look at him differently, and then when she gets pregnant, what happens? He has to kill her husband, the baby dies, and then for the rest of David's life, his family is a mess. An absolute mess. His kids turn on him. It's hard for him to just to be king from that point on. And I question, even though he marries Bathsheba, did she really love him? Did she care for him? What was his relationship like? Our sin will impact us and others. We have to realize that. And yet what we have is a king who is selfless, and he gave himself so that sin that has hurt you, that sin that you've done that's hurt others, It heals it, it fixes it, it redeems it because he's a redeeming God. See, Jesus, he's not like David when David was king. He's a king that came not to be served, but to serve others. We see that all throughout scripture. And often what we do and what we don't let other people feel loved then is we expect things. We feel like we're, we're owed something. And so the way that we conduct our lives, the way that we go about our lives is that we take, that we are selfish, that we want, especially in this holiday, we have expectations for what presents might look like. And we have expectations for what food people will bring. And you're going to be in your car home and you're going to be griping to your spouse. I can't bring, believe that my cousin only brought that. You know, they, there was 20 of us there and they only brought enough for four. We have this attitude of like that we're to be loved, that we're to be just 
treated in a certain way because we can be selfish if we're honest. And yet we have a selfless king who gave his own life to cover our sin instead of taking the life of another. That is maybe the most selfless act that we could ever see. King David, to cover up his sin, he takes the life of another. He repents of his sin, but yet he still was guilty of murder. He killed Uriah. He killed Bathsheba's husband. And yet Jesus, he dies in our place. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his life instead of taking a life. He could have said, well, I'll sacrifice this or I'll sacrifice that, and that would cover their sins. He was God. He could have done anything, and yet he gave his life as the perfect sacrifice. And so what does Bathsheba then have to do with all this, this sacrifice of Jesus? Well, from her, she gave birth later to Solomon by King David. And then from there, the lineage of Jesus carried on. And though she was not very loved by King David, God honored her and put her in the lineage of Jesus, gave her a place of honor in a sense, because she's been talked about now for centuries and centuries and will be until Jesus Christ returns one day. And so today, as you're here, what we have to realize is there's an ultimate act of love, one where Jesus, the better king, stepped in and took the death that we were owed, took the punishment that we were owed, so that we could be here today and be grafted in and celebrate his birth. Because if it wasn't for him and his work on the cross, there would be nothing for us to gather for today. We would be hopeless. We would have no peace with God. We wouldn't have any love. And we would just be wandering about, hoping for something better to come, but yet there would be nothing better. And so today, as we wrap up. We're going to sing Silent Night. We're going to light candles, which is an amazing opportunity and something fun for us to do. I love doing this. But I also want you to just spend some time as you stand there with your candle, the best that you can with all the distractions around, to just try to like focus in on the love that Christ has for us, the love that he's shown to you. Like Stop and reflect on how much in this just the past year has God loved you. Maybe he's blessed you in great ways. Maybe he's brought you to this church in this past year and you've not felt connected to a a Christian family in a long time and yet God has placed you here to have a, a family of believers around you. Maybe it's been a rough year. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I'm only here because someone invited me. I don't wanna be here. But I want you to know you're not here just by mistake. God loves you, he sees you. And he died for you. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just know that your sin doesn't define you, but he can. Your identity can be found completely in him, the one who gave his life for all of us. So let me pray for us and we're gonna light this candle, light the Christ candle, and then we're gonna sing. God, I love you. We thank you for this packed house. God, they say a quiet church would be a dying church. So Lord, we are not dying. <laughs> And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for just the numerous births that we've seen in the past year in this church. We thank you for all the families and that you've brought here. God, I pray that as people are moving and just bustling about, not just here, but when they leave here, they've got probably 10 things they've got to go do. Last-minute gifts and more meals and time with family. God, I pray that we focus in on you. 
your love that is greater than anything that we can comprehend, that we just make that the focus of who you are, God, and that we just rejoice in it, that we find time just to find peace and joy in you this season. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.